what I regret about my relationship with your father is how is really how short it was, because I didn't I did not get to know your father until he came to Lebanon to work for Fuad Senor when Fuad Senor was prime minister. So that was what late spring, early summer, 2000, um, 2005. Then I left Lebanon in January 2008. So my overlap with your father was only a year and a half, um, which I find remarkable when I think about the intensity of the conversations, the closeness of our collaboration, the warmth of the friendship that he extended to me, that that period was only a year and a half. The way this developed, I think, was in part because of Fuad Senor's personality, if I may say. He would receive me. I was the U.S. ambassador, and he was he would be um, candid with me about what, what he thought was happening in the country and where he thought we should be positioning ourselves. But he made, but he sort of made it clear that I should I should work with Mohammed Shaka, who I didn't know. I, I knew he had a good reputation this time as being ambassador. He was uh, Lebanon's ambassador in Washington, but I didn't know him. But I got to know him. And what impressed me about Mohammed Shaka was how pragmatic he always was, sort of a step-by-step -step approach to things, but with a strategic goal in mind. And the strategic goal that he had in mind was a Lebanon that could stand on its own, a Lebanon that was sovereign, um, that the Lebanese were in charge of, of, of Lebanon. And that was his sort of his goal. But he would have suggestions of what to do in the meantime, what to do to move forward to that goal. It wasn't that he, he ever made the, um, the perfect, the enemy, the good. He would find good things to, to propose to us. And one of the ironies of my time in Lebanon was the Hezbollah propaganda about the Feltman government. You know, they would, you know, Hukumat Feltman, Hukumat Feltman. They would chant as I would go into the Grand Sarai, usually to see, to, to see Muhammad Shaka, your father. When in fact, it was Mohammed Shaka that was influencing U.S. policy far more than U.S. policy was influencing the senior government. Mohammed would have ideas for how if he were you know, in the State Department, if he were in the White House, he might consider this type of approach to whatever problem we were discussing. And likely as not, that would be the basis of a discussion in Washington that would lead to a decision about how we were going to proceed. So I was being accused of running the Lebanese government, of manipulating the Lebanese government, when in fact it was, it was Mohammed Shatta who was figuring out ways to influence U.S. policy to support the Lebanese government. He had the ability both to speak as a Lebanese patriot, someone that was absolutely committed to Lebanon's independence and sovereignty, but also to step back and look at the region and think about um, what U.S. what the U.S. position was in the region. So he was a good one um, with whom to brainstorm. And he was his door was basically always open. I could be visiting other politicians, having meetings elsewhere in, in, in Beirut, traveling to the countryside, whatever. And after listening to others come up with some ideas of what to propose back to Washington, how to try to develop a policy that supported Lebanon, Lebanon's independence and sovereignty um, against the challenge of Syria, Syrian hegemony and, and Hezbollah um, 
Hezbollah's um, heavy-handed influence over over Lebanese policy. And I could drop a note, you know, on text or call Mohammed and say, "Hey, can I stop by?" And and unless he were another me, he would always say yes. So much of my time with him was sort of unplanned. It was me stopping by to say, hey, I've thought about these ideas, what do you think? And for him to sort of go through his view of liabilities, pluses of the various ideas I was proposing. And he would do it in a way that, again, was designed so that I would understand it as a US official, but that it would also be clear what he thought was best as a Lebanese patriot. It was really a very rare case where a Lebanese political figure could step away from the hothouse that was Lebanese politics and look at the region as a whole and look at US interests as a whole in responding to ideas that I, that I would um, yeah, float to him. Mohammed Shaka was the first person after the start of that July war, after Hezbollah had kidnapped the Israeli soldiers and brought them back into Lebanon, of course they, were, they, they died. But he was the first person to basically issue the warning of what in fact happened. I, I, saw, I saw him um, on the first day of the war. Um, and he said, Jeff, everyone in Lebanon right now is mad at Hezbollah. We were having a beautiful summer. The tourists were here. People were enjoying the beaches, enjoying the restaurants. They were in Ramana at night, et cetera, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone's mad at Hezbollah for, for ruining that. But if this war goes on for more than just a few days, everyone's going to be solidly behind Hezbollah because we're all going to be, we're all going to feel ourselves as being victims of, of, the, of the Israeli aggression. So you need to warn your government now that um, this hostility that the Lebanese feel toward Hezbollah for ruining their summer is not going to last if the Israelis continue to attack. And he was right. And that became that, you know, the, it was a 33-day war with another month of economic, economic blockade. And by the time all that was over, there was um, a solidarity of Lebanese feeling that they were that they were that they were victims. So the ability to try to push back against Hezbollah inside Lebanon deteriorated the longer that war went on. The, you know, I don't, of course, we don't know what would have happened, but at the beginning of that war, there was such a, there was such anger in Lebanon against Hezbollah that there might have developed some kind of political coalition that would have put at least political limits on, on Hezbollah's ability to manipulate the government. Um, as it was, it, it didn't happen, and your father was the first person to predict this to me. What struck me, as compared to most Lebanese politicians, was his ability to step back away from the intricacies of Lebanese politics. Um, many of my conversations, you could say most of my conversations in Lebanon about, about internal politics, of course, you know, as a US ambassador, we're not supposed to be talking about internal politics, but, but that is what Washington expects us to do, is to be able to report back on internal politics. Um, the Lebanese drew the conclusion that we were manipulating Lebanese politics rather than just trying to understand them, but never mind. But you know, you know, when I would go see politician X or politician Y, um, and the conversation would be about how to um, prepare for, 
for whatever the next elections were or how to prepare for the next parliament session on who who you who did this, who did what, who was on whose side, what was the patriarch thinking, what were the what was the Sunni Mufti thinking? It was all very, very local. I didn't have those sorts of conversations with Muhammad Chukka. I had the much broader conversations about Lebanon's place in the Middle East, uh, how to deal with um, the growing Iranian influence. Um, Plenty of criticism about U.S. policy in the Middle East, which he saw as, as short-sighted and, and not, strate not as strategically inclined as, as he would have liked. But it was, a, it, was a, it was rare for me to have those sorts of conversations in Lebanon when everyone else was down in the weeds. And he was instead looking at the regional forest. You know, the Lebanese are very good at, or they were, I don't know about with the current economic climate and the, and the current political climate, but the Lebanese were very good about throwing these, you know, lavish dinner parties um, for where the American ambassador, the French ambassador were uh, almost considered to be celebrity attendees. It's ridic ridiculous, um, the sort of status that the Lebanese give to the American ambassador and the French ambassador. Um, but I was always so relieved when I would show up um, at one of these dinner parties and Mohammed and Nina Shaka were there because that was my escape from that, from the ceaseless discussions of the Lebanese weeds, uh, because basically they had a broader perspective on the world than, than the Lebanese. Of course, the, you know, the Lebanese, you know, they're, they're worried about their own country. Of course, they're going to take the U.S. ambassador and try to pull him down into the weeds. Um, on their country, but there was a there was a professorial quality to the way your father talked. You could tell that he was once he was once a teacher. And he would, I loved taking Washington visitors to see him, um, because you know Washington congressman, Washington senator, Senator McCain, people like that. When you took him to see the Lebanese, the Lebanese had a list of what they expected the U.S. to do to solve their problems. Um, and not always unreasonable requests that the Lebanese had, but it was very much, um, this is what you need to do for me. This is what you need to do for us. Whereas Muhammad would give a briefing. This is where Lebanon is. This is where the region is. This is, this is what's happening with Hezbollah and, Syri and Syria and, and Iran. And then he would have maybe one ask, not a whole laundry list, of things he saw the U.S. to do, he had an understanding that um, he needed to limit his proposal to U.S. visiting officials to something, something practical, something reasonable, not bomb Tehran or something like that, um, and to do it in a way that the visitor felt part of a conversation, felt that the, the visitor felt that he or she or they had really learned something. It was like a, it was, it was like a graduate seminar in regional politics that ended with a request. It was great taking him. In fact, I sometimes I would go straight from the airport, picking up a visitor, right to Mohammed's office because he did a better, better job of giving the country briefing to the new visitor than I did. Imagine if you have a senator, a Senate delegation that's never been to Lebanon. They probably got a day in Lebanon because in general, at least in those days, the Senate delegations did not stay overnight. 
and you go to a Lebanese political figure, an important political figure, but they're telling these senators who've never been there before, who have a, some understanding of Lebanon, the, the intricacies of how this party and this party's allied with this party and this politician may be able to be peeled off from that party and brought in and, and this person allied with Michelle Allen isn't really with Michelle Allen. You can imagine that their eyes just glaze over and they, they don't take anything significant away from it. Where instead the masterclass of Mohammed Shatta left them with um, an understanding of Lebanon as Mohammed Shatta would like them to have. David Welch was visiting um, Lebanon. And at this time, of course, the airport was bombed. He came in by helicopter to the embassy compound and we went downtown to see Fouad Senor. And it was as the Security Council um, discussions on, on what became 1701 were taking place. So, so David and I went to the Grand Sarai to talk to Fouad Senor about some of the language issues in 1701, some of the, some of, so, to, to compare notes with him on where the disputes were between the Security Council parties on 1701. Um, and so in the room was, in that, in that very heavy Grand Sarai Prime Minister room, was Fouad Senor in the usual chair and, and Mohammed Shatta next to him, and I'm sure with an embassy note taker. Um, and we were going over the language with him and, and Fouad and, and, and let's just say the Prime Minister, Dolotais Senora, and, and, and Dr. Shatta were, were comparing and reacting to what we brought, what we brought up. But we got Condoleezza Rice on the phone. Um, so Condoleezza Rice, who was in New York at the time, working on the, working on the resolution, she was the first then Secretary of State, basically finalized the language on 1701, worked out the, the, the disputed language with Mohammed Shatta and Philip Senora on speakerphone from the Grand Sarai. And that's what led to the ability to pass 1701 was this conversation, three-way conversation between Hamlisa Rice, Philip Senora, and, and Mohammed Shatta. Um, and interesting, one of, the, one of the issues that basically we deferred to them on, we wanted chapter seven resolution. We wanted the, the expanded UNIFIL to have chapter seven, chapter seven authority. Um, and and Mohammed Shatta and Fouad Senora basically said, we cannot sell that here. Whatever the merits of the case are, we're dealing with the Lebanese realities and we will not be able to sell that case here. And you want our support for this resolution. You do not want us to come out and denounce this resolution once it's passed. So whatever the merits are, it doesn't work. Um, and so we worked out with Fouad Senora and Mohammed Shatta language in the resolution, strengthen the resolution in a way that we could say it's well it's chapter 6.5 um, rather than chapter seven. But but basically they were the ones that persuaded the US to back away from our insistence it was going to be a chapter seven resolution. Chapter seven, of course, being um, you could use you could use force. You could use force without without permission of the of the of the host authorities. Um, and it's another example of what I said earlier, which is we were accused of running the, the Lebanese government, when in fact the Lebanese government um, was the one exercising influence on our policies. I guess I would single Mohammed out for that strategic vision, that ability to step back and look at the big picture. That really impressed me. I found that that was absolutely unique. But there certainly were others in Lebanon who would who would 
move beyond the down in the weeds Lebanese politics to speak of other things. It was always it was always a pleasure to see those that that would talk sometimes about movies or about novels um, rather than the Lebanese politics. But in terms of that that ability to sort of take a bird's eye view of where Lebanon was in the world, I think that was unique with your father. He often would initiate the conversation because he would see something I had said or done or something the U.S. had, the US had said or the U.S. was going to do, and he'd comment on it. So he'd send me, a, he'd critique our policy. He continued to offer the type of, of critique and, and criticism that he so freely shared when I would stop and see him at the Grand, at the Grand Sarai. My job as Assistant Secretary of State for Near East Affairs in January 2011 was completely um, absorbed by the by the so-called Arab Spring, by the Arab uprisings, and just by necessity, even though even though Lebanon itself had earlier gone through some some protests, also Lebanon really did fall way down my list of priorities, just simply because of the demand of trying to figure out what U.S. policy should be in, in the face of these Arab uprisings, and my contacts with your father fell off as well as a, as a result of that, which I which of course I regret. Rami Shahada, who had worked for Gare Patterson, and Gare Patterson was the UN Special Coordinator in Lebanon. Rami Shahada sort of burst into my office on December 27th um, to uh, clearly, clearly devastated, upset. And I said, what happened? You know, what's going on? And he's the one that broke the news to me. And I just remember staring out my window there on the 35th floor of the UN Secretary building, sort of looking out over Manhattan, but not seeing Manhattan, but seeing, I don't know, the just seeing a tremendous loss, a loss, it was a personal loss. I felt like, oh my gosh, I haven't been in touch with Mohammed. Now I can't be in touch with Mohammed for some time. Yeah. Um, but feeling the loss for Lebanon, because this was somebody who really understood how Lebanon could, could be a different place than what it, what, what it was. Um, and then later, I you know, later I heard that, that he had done some very creative thinking about the relationship with Iran, but I was not privy to that, to to his thinking on that. I wish I had. You know, the Lebanese are everywhere, um, and not that many people have the privilege that I had of working with Mohammed Shatta, but people know the Lebanese, and they know how talented they are. They know how entrepreneurial they are. They know how resilient they are. But I don't think principle comes to mind in general when you talk about the Lebanese. Um, and Mohammed Shaka was principled. He had integrity. Um, and those are two words that I that come to mind immediately when I think about when I think about Mohammed Shaka, a principle, integrity, um, wise. Lots of Lebanese are 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 smart, but he was wise. And being able to, to again step back and, and take a realistic view of Lebanon's position in the position in the world, and to do so with a twinkle in his eye, um, you know, he saw that he saw the absurdity of some of the Lebanese um, political wranglings. He saw the absurdity and the tragedy at the same time. He, he never gave up. That was what was remarkable. You know, I would stop by his office in utter despair, <laughs> and and he would he would be the one. To, to cheer me up to say there is a way forward. But for those of us among the American diplomats who have had the privilege of serving in Lebanon, again, we've, we've all, you know, 
at, at, at several levels, we've adored, we've adored our time in Lebanon um, and have such respect for the resilience of the Lebanese people um, facing all these hardships. But the typical Lebanese interaction with the US ambassador and probably a French ambassador, and probably a Saudi ambassador is what's going to happen to Lebanon as if we know, as if we know or can determine what's going to happen to Lebanon. And how, how the hell do I know what's going to happen in Lebanon? But that was the typical question that I would get anywhere I went. That was never Mohammed Shekha's approach. And Mohammed Shekha was, this is what should happen in Lebanon. This is what needs to happen in Lebanon. And this is how we start moving in that direction. 